You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Hebrews chapter 11. Please, if you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, This is the last sermon in our sermon series on uh, Seeking First the Kingdom. A few weeks ago, we started this series by looking at the importance of seeking first. Then we looked at the value of the kingdom of God and those beautiful pictures in the Gospels about how valuable the kingdom of God is to us. And then last week, we were challenged with the reality of how a difficult, difficult money is in relationship to seeking first the kingdom. And of course, that's like a message for all of us in this room, to be reality, to remember that you know, money can really be a major, major obstacle for seeking first the kingdom of God. And in the midst of this sermon series, we've also been challenged uh, to consider a campaign called Seek the First, Seek First the Kingdom. Our elders believing in God's leading are calling us to seek first the kingdom by decreasing our debt and increasing uh, our opportunities for the kingdom by sending out more disciples of Jesus Christ to go and share the gospel here and also around the world to equip, to train leaders for the church, to encourage, to resource the church with, by sharing the resources that God has given to us and all for the kingdom of God here in Canada and around the world. And if you don't get excited about that, there's something wrong, right? There's something like so wrong with you because that's, this is what it's all about. It's about seeking first the kingdom of God. That's so, so exciting. But I, like you, have sat in seats, like you're sitting this week. I've sat in these seats and listened to God's word poured out week after week after week, and I came to this realization. Maybe you came to it quicker than I did. But this is not about a campaign. It's not primarily about a campaign. It's actually about a calling. This is not. Seek first the kingdom isn't just a campaign. It's a calling on our lives. We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the authority, rule, and reign of Jesus Christ the King. Man, that's it. That's what the kingdom is. It's the authority, rule, and reign of Jesus Christ the King. It has a now aspect to that. That is that that Jesus wants to rule and reign over our lives. That's why Jesus said when he was here on this earth, he said to the people that he was meeting, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Say, wow, what does he mean? Does he mean like it's going to happen soon? No, he wasn't saying it was going to happen soon. He's saying it's happening now. Like the king is here. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's why we pray. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because we know the kingdom of God. Because Jesus Christ is ruling in our hearts. We know, we know that the kingdom of God is now. It's now. Okay, let's just try that. The kingdom of God is what? Now. Now. But it's also not yet. As you read through the Gospels, it's not only talking about the present reality of the kingdom, Jesus' rule, reign, and authority in our lives, but it's also talking about a not yet time, a time out in the future where the kingdom of God, the fullness of the kingdom of God will become a reality. We we talk about it, you know, like when I leave the earth, when I die from this earth, I'm going to be present with the Lord. And we understand that, that that aspect of the kingdom of God and its fullness will go into the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be like, that's eternity. That's the kingdom of God. 
So it's now, but it's also not yet. That's what we're supposed to seek. We seek it first. That is the authority, rule, and reign of Jesus is our priority. It's our passion. It's our pursuit over all of our possessions, over our plans, over our purposes, over all our possibilities. I'm telling you, this is not just about a campaign. It's about a calling. And the only way that you and I are going to answer the call of God on this is if we seek, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is if we live by faith. Here we are, Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at chapter, actually look at chapter 10, verse 39. I like how the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who are actually struggling with their faith. And he says in chapter 10, verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. He's saying like, you know, we, we're not lacking courage. We're not gonna quit, are we? That's what he's saying there to these people. You're not going to quit. You're not going to shrink back, right? No, we're people who have what? We have faith, and we're preserving our souls. We're not going to kind of back away. We're not going to give up on God, are we? No. And then he gives them this chapter, this chapter, chapter 11, the great chapter on faith, this great cloud of witnesses that he talks about in chapter 12 here, described for us in chapter 11. He shows examples of people who have faith but also live by it. They live by it. Abel, Noah, Moses, Samson, Rahab, Jephthah, the prophets, and all these people who are unnamed. Some saw it in two. These great people who lived by faith. They, they lived by faith. And then the example of Abraham that we'll look at in verses 8 through 16. These people, the great chapter of faith, are reminders of us of what God can do. In a life by faith. And just as the case as it was with these first people that it was written to, so it's true of our lives. When we read chapter 11, it's like we're supposed to be reminded not just of history, what happened in history, but of the reality that this actually could be us. We could actually live like this. Like Abel did, so you could. Like Samson did, so you could. Like Jephthah did, so you could. That's what chapter 11 is about. It, it motivates you. It teaches you that, that this is what a life, God can grab hold of a life and, and what he can do by faith in somebody's life. You see, the only way that you and I will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is if we live by faith. And so we should pay really careful attention to this chapter, and let's start at chapter 11, verse 1. Look at what it says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Here's your first point. We live by faith when the kingdom of God has a hold on us. We live by faith when the kingdom of God has a hold on us. You see the definition that he gives of faith? He says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In other words, he's saying faith is about being certain about something. It's not like, it's not, we're not talking about taking a leap of faith. You know, when somebody says, I'm taking a leap of faith, they're really not certain. They're just kind of jumping and hoping. 
That's not what, how faith is defined here in chapter 11, verse 1. Faith here in chapter 11, verse 1 is about a certainty. Well, what does it mean then to live by that? Right? Well, living by that is different than just being certain about something. Actually, actually, listen to this. This is so important. Living by faith is not just holding a conviction. Living by faith is when the conviction has a hold on you. Most of you here this morning, I would, say, would probably say, if I asked you, do you believe in the kingdom of God? You would say, sure, I believe in the kingdom of God. I have a level of certainty. I have a conviction about the kingdom of God. That's not the question this morning. The question this morning is not whether you have a conviction about the kingdom of God. The question this morning is, does the kingdom of God have a hold on you? Does it have a hold on you? Are you thinking about it? Are you waiting for it? Are you hungry for it? Are you submitting to it? By faith, I am seeking first the authority, the rule and reign of Jesus. It becomes my passion, my pursuit, my priority. There's a difference between the kingdom of God being a truth statement and being a reality in your life. And this is our biggest challenge. The kingdom of God doesn't always have a grip on our hearts. It doesn't always have a hold on us. It's out there somewhere instead of being in here. Gripping our hearts, gripping our passions, gripping our pursuits, forming our priorities. We will never seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness until the kingdom of God has a hold on our life. Won't happen. We live by faith when the kingdom of God has a hold on us. And secondly, we live by faith when the kingdom of God is producing freedom in us. See, when the kingdom of God has a, a hold on you, you will begin to see signs of living by faith in your life. And Abraham is a, the, one of the best examples of this. So let's just jump in here. We're going right down to verse 8. And we're going to begin to look at Abraham's life. Look what it says in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Okay, I want to read that again just in case you kind of missed that. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. The fact that he left is mm, a miracle. Okay? This is, of course, a record for us of the story from Genesis chapter 12. We look at the verse here in, there we go, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 1 and 4. It says, this is what, how it went down. Now the Lord said to Abraham, okay, just, just a moment here. You need to understand, Abraham at this point hit Abraham. Abraham originally renamed later Abraham. Abraham is, um, like everybody else in his world, he's worshiping all kinds of gods, and all of a sudden, God speaks to him. Yahweh speaks to him. The Lord said to him, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And it says in verse 4, So Abraham went 
as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I'm just telling you, like, I don't understand. This is like a miracle. When he leaves his father's house to the land that I will show you, he's leaving all of his financial security behind. In those days, the larger your clan, the more influential you were, the more money you could make. He is saying, I don't, I'm not going to be part of that anymore. I'm going to go out and make it on my own. He's breaking away from a very heavy patriarchal society, and he's moving away to say, God, my God has called me now to go, some, to go somewhere. And, and guess what? He doesn't even know where he's going. The grace of God comes into his life, and the call of God is placed on his life. This, is, this sounds so familiar to me when you read through the Gospels. Isn't this what Jesus did with his disciples? Right? Jesus shows up, and he sees Simon. Simon, follow me. Just like that. Just follow me. The call of God. Simon's doing his fisherman thing, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, Jesus says to him, follow me. And it says in the Gospels, immediately they left everything and followed him. This sounds just like what Abraham did. This is what God does. I mean, God erupts into people's lives and, and, and calls them to obedience. Abraham leaves his family behind, and he left not knowing where he was going. This is not a paradigm for decision-making. It's like, you'd say, well, that's how I should make all my decisions, just like Abraham makes, is making his decision. That's not what it's like. This is just an example of showing you that when the promise of God has a hold on you and is gripping your heart, you step out and you're obedient to God's call. How do you know you're living by faith? You're living by faith when you're obedient like this. And you won't obey like this unless you are convinced of the kingdom of God. Not just hopeful about the kingdom of God, but actually convinced about the kingdom of God. I mean, being hopeful, I, well, I hope the kingdom of God exists, or I hope one day I'll end up in the kingdom of God. Being hopeful about the kingdom of God has never moved anyone to complete obedience like this. To follow Jesus and to leave everything behind immediately. So how do I know if I'm living by faith? Well, you know you're living by faith if you're obeying God like this. The kingdom of God has a grip on your heart. It's got a hold on your heart. And you're willing to step out in this kind of radical kind of obedience. Do you not think that that's kind of a radical kind of obedience? Go, and he goes. Follow me, and immediately they left everything behind and they followed him. We live by faith when the kingdom of God is producing freedom in us. This is what living by faith looks like, following Jesus and leaving everything behind. Obedience. Then look at this in verses 9 and 10. Look at verses 9 and 10. We see here contentment, contentment. Obedience first, then contentment second. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Contentment. So you got these verses. You know what these verses tell us? He was promised a location. He arrives at the location. And then he lives in tents 
in a tent while he's waiting for the city. You're saying, well, that's, what's the big deal about that? That's what they did back then. They all lived in tents. Like, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal isn't that they lived in tents. The big deal is that he was willing to wait. He had this sense that there was something greater, something bigger, something more that God had for him. God had promised him this inheritance. He was, had this anticipation. He was waiting for, waiting for this city that God was designing, this city that he was going to build. He was promised a location. He arrives at the location. He lives in a tent waiting for the city designed and built by God. And it turns out that it was a really long wait. If you go down to verse 13, you see in verse 13 it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having a knowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. He's content. He's okay with the temporary because he's convinced that the permanent is going to be so much better. A city designed and built by God. Discontentment robs us of joy. It robs us of joy. And discontentment is no respecter of persons. Those of us who have less or think that we have less are discontent because we're always comparing ourselves with other people. If I just had what they had, I would be fine. I would be content. If I could just have that, what they have, everything would be great. If I could just have their life, I would be fine. Everything would be fine. I'd be totally content. That's what we do. And then there are people who have more, or who have more, who are always saying, well, if I just had one more, if I just had a little bit more, or if I just had something that was newer, or something that was better, or all this kind of, discontentment is not a, a respecter of persons. It penetrates into all of our homes, all of our families. That's discontentment. I love what Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. I love that. I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is it? What's the secret? What's the secret? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? I have learned the secret of, of having a lot and also, not having a lot of, of, you know, having abundance and being in, like, total need. And here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's, that's contentment. That's contentment. But discontentment robs us of this joy. When the kingdom of God has a grip on your heart, you're content with what God has given to you. You're seeking first his righteousness. That's your priority, knowing that he will add to you whatever you need. That's living by faith. Abraham actually had arrived to the place where he was supposed to be going. And he waited. And he waited. And he waited. And he waited. He was content because he knew the promise of God was all he needed. When the kingdom of God has a grip in your heart, it moves in your life, and you see these signs of freedom, obedience, and contentment. And then this one, this one, verses 11 and 12, trust. 
By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This, I, I tell you, verse 12 is like, wow. From one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. That word considered in verses in in, in these verses, if, if you don't have it circled yet and you don't have it underlined yet, I would encourage you to do that. Like just somehow highlight the word considered. Do you see what it says there? Since she considered him faithful who had promised. She considered. Now this is, again, a record of the story all the way back into Genesis chapter 17 and 18 when God shows up to tell Abraham, he makes this announcement to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, you are about to have a child. And here is Abraham's response. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And here's Sarah's response in chapter 18. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Wow. I mean, God shows up and tells them they're about to have a child, and their response is laughter. And, and don't, don't be too judgmental quickly, because if I showed up to you at, at 100 years old and said, hey, my wife's about to have a child. Oh, by the way, she's 90. Why are you laughing at me? I don't know why you're Right? You had this sense of, sense of doubt. You say, well, yeah, good luck with that, is what you would probably say which is exactly what they were saying. They don't look like anything like the picture of faith here. How did they become the picture of faith? They considered him faithful who had promised. So much so you see this response in chapter 21. Now that Isaac is born, this is, these, are the words, these are the words of Sarah. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Do you know the name Isaac? You know what it means? It means laughter. They named their child laughter. Their laughter of doubt, their laughter of disbelief had turned to a laughter of belief and a laughter of faith, a laughter of joy. And what was the difference? They considered him faithful who had promised. They considered him faithful who had promised. That's the turn. That's the change for them. They considered him faithful who had promised. Their doubts had turned to faith because they considered him faithful who had promised. And for some of us, for some of us, when we even hear Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, hey, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When you hear Matthew 6, 33, your, your response is, really? Really, God? If I seek first your kingdom and I seek after your righteousness 
if I live by faith like that, that really you're going to, you're going to know what I need and you're going to actually supply the things that I actually need, that, that I can trust you enough to know that you know what's best for me and that you know exactly what I need in every moment. Really, can I really believe that? I know, I know that some of us here this morning, I know because I th- I, when I read Matthew 6, I'm thinking, there's, some days I'm thinking, God, really? Really? Here's the thing. Consider him faithful who promises. Consider him faithful who promises. No matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the situation is, Life or death itself. He is faithful. Consider him faithful who promises. When the kingdom of God has a grip on your heart, it teaches us that God is trustworthy and his promises are true. You can trust him and you actually do trust him and that's living by faith. Living by faith. We live by faith when we obey. We live by faith when we're content. We live by faith when we trust, when we trust the Lord, and we live by faith when we have this strong identity. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They were strangers. They were exiles on the earth. They were seeking a homeland. Homelands are like super powerful things, right? Let's, if we were to take a microphone and walk through this audience this morning and ask you what your country of origin was or what your homeland is, I would hear all different kinds of responses. I would hear Jordan. I would hear Egypt. I would hear Germany, I would hear France, I would hear a lot of people say Canada, I would hear some people say China, I could hear Korea, I could hear all these different, all these different countries, right? The, way, the reason why you respond that, the way that you respond is because that is truly the country that you believe is your homeland here on this earth. You would respond that way. Follower of Christ, hear this. You have a different homeland. When the kingdom of God has a hold on your heart, your citizenship is an eternal homeland. We are strangers and exiles here because our home is the kingdom of God. That's where we belong. It's where we belong. If you don't feel that, the kingdom of God does not have a grip on your heart. When the kingdom of God has a grip on your heart, you know, you know, this world is not my home. It's not my home. I love Canada. I enjoy this place just like many of you enjoy it. And I enjoy as much of it as I can as a gift from God. But it is not home. I don't belong here. I don't. I'm a stranger. I'm an exile. I'm, I'm here for a season. I'm away from home waiting to go home. Right? 
I'm, a, I'm away from home waiting to go from home. And, and so this world's not my home. My, my, you know, I can actually say this morning to you with all truth, my heart aches for that homeland. I get what Paul said when he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. That's faith. That's what it means to, to live by faith. And it's not until the kingdom of God actually gets a hold of your heart and really grips your heart that you have the sense that, that this is not my home. This is not my place of permanent residence. You know, Brenda and I have moved many times. We've moved many times in the last four years. A lot. That's a whole other story. I know there's one more move. At least. One more move, and I can hardly wait. That's faith. See, when we live, we live by faith, we see obedience, we see contentment growing in our hearts, we see a, a deeper trust of the Lord because we're considering him who is faithful, the one who's promised is faithful. We have this firm sense of identity, and then here, verses 15 and 16, we have a longing. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. In 1519, the explorer um, Hernan Cortez, there he is. He doesn't look like an explorer to me, but that's his picture. Hernan Cortez in 1519, he uh, took um, 600 Span Spanish men with him on a trip to the New World. They were going to Mexico to try to basically take all the Aztecs' wealth. They had heard about it, and so they were going to go. They were going to go. There was 11 ships that went. There was like about 20 horse, 16 to 20 horses that went with them. There's all these people. It's quite a big expedition, actually, to sail all the way from Spain all the way to the New World. They arrived at Mexico, and when they arrived at Mexico, he did something dramatic and strategic. You know what he did? One of the first things that he did is he destroyed all the ships. Wow. I wish I had thought of that first. That's what a great, great move. What a great what was he saying? What was he saying to the men? There's no return, man. There's no going back. I could just imagine being one of the guys, you know, walking on shore for the first time and, and all of a sudden turning back and seeing the boats that are out there being dismantled and burned, like one after another. None of them left. Even even his ship burned to the ground. All of them burned to the ground, totally destroyed in 1519. Why? Why? Because there's no turning back. You see in verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they were desiring a better country. That is a heavenly one. And so because of that, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. When the kingdom of God grabs a hold of your heart, you aren't longing for what God has rescued you from. 
No, no, no. You are desiring his kingdom, his righteousness. There's no turning back. No turning back. The longing is for the kingdom, not for what you've been rescued from, not from your past, not from your past sins, not from that. That's not what you long for. You're not longing for that. You're longing for the kingdom. You're longing for the kingdom, his righteousness. That's living by faith. I think about all these things, obedience and contentment and trust and identity and longing. You know, as I was reading this this week, I was thinking to myself, as I was reading these verses, God, I said, God, that's freedom. All those things, that's freedom. To obey like that, to be content like that, to be able to trust you like that. To have that kind of identity, to have that kind of longing ripping inside of my heart. What? That's freedom. It's freedom. It, I'm not in the clutch of the temporal, but in the grasp of the eternal. You see, this world produces bondage. The kingdom of God produces freedom. There's two dramatic examples of that in the Gospels. One was last week when we looked at the rich young ruler. You know, a man who had a longing in his heart for eternal life. And yet Jesus, when Jesus confronts him and says, I need you to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. What does he do? He walks away. He wanted the kingdom but he wasn't willing to allow Jesus to rule and to have authority in his life. That's the bondage that so many people experience in this life. But there's another extreme example in the Gospels. One of a, a, I imagine her to be a small woman. She's a widow. Jesus and the disciples are hanging out by the temple and they're watching these people come to the temple treasury and they're all dropping their money into the big buckets, which were, you know, you know, you could hear the more you gave, the louder the sound that you made. And she comes up, this widow comes up and she takes out a little coin and she drops it into the treasury and then she leaves. And Jesus tells the disciples, you know, look at all these other people, everything they're giving. But you know, she gave, even though it was a small amount, she gave everything she had. Tell me, which one of the two is free? The widow. The widow is free. Why? Because she's learned obedience, she's learning trust, she's super content. You know you're living by faith when the Spirit of God is gripping your heart with the kingdom of God and producing this kind of freedom. This is the call on our lives. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Our priority, our passion, our pursuit is the authority and rule of Jesus in our life. And the only way that we'll seek first the kingdom is if we live by faith. So let me ask you, are you living by faith? 
Does the kingdom of God have a grip on your heart? Does it have a hold on your heart? So much so that you are seeing the fruits of freedom, of faith in your life. Things like radical obedience to God, a growing contentment, a deep trust, a longing, a strong identity. Are those things, are those things true of your life? And for so many of us, for so many of us, the problem is, is the kingdom of God just doesn't have a hold on us. It doesn't have, something else does. It's not the kingdom of God. And so what should you do? Well, you should do what you have to do here. The Spirit of God is telling you to do right now. Repent. Repent. Do what the great cloud of witnesses did. I love what it says there in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us also. In other words, they did this, so let us also do this too. What are we supposed to do? Repent. Lay aside. Lay aside. Before the Lord, Spirit, do a 180-degree change in our minds, our hearts, our will, our actions towards the things that are getting in the way of us seeking first the authority, reign, and rule of Jesus in our lives. The weights, the sins, things like control. Spirit, help us. Help us to not be grabbing on and clutching on to control. May we be able to release and say, not my will but yours, Father. Not my will but yours. Help us to embrace our dependence on God, not our self-sufficiency. Or how about ownership? Clutching onto all the things that we have. The kingdom of God is all about the king, and the king owns everything. He owns everything. When Jesus rules in your life, he owns it all. All of it. All of it. It's not my money. It's not your money. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's not even your family. So help us, Father, help us, Father, Spirit, please come into our lives right now and help us to embrace not ownership, but stewardship. Help us to steward the things that you've given to us as gifts from you to us so that we can in turn worship you by giving them to you. Lay aside, look to Jesus. You see what it says in verse 2, chapter 12? Look to Jesus. Don't let your heart wander from Jesus. He's the king. There's no kingdom without the king. You can say you're in the kingdom of God, but if he's not reigning and ruling in your life, it's not the kingdom of God unless the king is ruling. And so look to Jesus. He's the founder of our faith. No Jesus, no death on the cross, no resurrection means no faith. But because of his love and because of his grace and because of his mercy for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Because of us, he endured the cross. He is the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that's brought it to completion. He's our example. He's the one that has given us new life. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, for you know 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Repent. Lay aside. Look to Jesus. The only way we're going to seek first the kingdom of God is if we live by faith. And that's the call on us this morning, so let's pray. You need to repent. I know there's some of us here this morning. I know this week, this week, it's been like for me. Repent. Spirit, do your work now. Only you can do this. Spirit, I know only you can do this. Change our minds, change our hearts, move us to repentance. Show us right now what it is that we need to lay aside, what do we need to repent of. You won't seek first the kingdom of God if you're gripping onto other kingdoms. There's only one king. Focus your eyes, focus your heart on Jesus. Prone to wander, Lord. Yes, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? If not, look to Jesus. Spirit, give us the grace to repent so we can seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Father, help us. Help us, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.